0: Good morning. morning. Morning, Tyler. There's something humbling um, about the music of your high school days being relegated to the classic rock station. <laughs> and some of my music in high school and college was already classic rock, so perhaps they're oldies now, I don't know. Um, One of them that I listened to um, with some angst was Pink Floyd. I have a hard time imagining them on the oldies station. Um, But in many ways, at least in this song, they're a little bit ahead of their time. They have one song by that name, Time, and one of the verses goes like this. You run and you run to catch up with the sun, but it's sinking racing around to come up behind you again. The sun is the same in a relative way, but you're older, shorter of breath, and one day closer to death. The sun is the same in a relative way, but you're older, shorter of breath, and one day closer to death puts things in perspective, doesn't it? And I might suggest to you, although I'm not sure, um, that the author of these lyrics was probably, or at least knew of, the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, They wouldn't be the only musician to have heard this book. I think the birds sing a song to every season, turn, turn, but that's a few chapters away, and we'll get to that in a couple (laughs) of weeks. (coughs) But think about those words, about about the sun and chasing the sun, and the sun stays the same, and yet we get older and shorter of breath and closer to death. Does that not sound like our reading this morning? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. I love this one. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place where the streams come from, there they return again. There is no remembrance of men of old, and even those who are yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow. The conclusion? Meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless, everything Is meaningless. And this is the book we'll be preaching on for the next six or seven weeks. Get excited. (laughs) I'm guessing there's a good chance that you're asking um, one or both of these questions. Who on earth would want to do a seven week sermon series on the meaninglessness of life? And the second question is probably this Why is this book even in the Bible? Why did the Holy Spirit allow the compilers of Scripture to put this book in here? What does it have to do with anything? Is that not the Christian message that life actually does have meaning? That God loves us and cares for us and numbered the hairs on our heads? Why is it even here? I hope we can begin to to grasp the reasons for these questions this morning. Why would we preach on it and why is it even in Scripture Um, And I think when we dig into Ecclesiastes a little bit, we'll realize that there's more there. There's more than just the surface understanding of vanity, vanity, all is vanity. There are clues in the book that point us to something greater, something um, beyond what we can see, something from without that might actually be penetrating this world. And so this morning I want to um, introduce our sermon series. We're going to look at, at some of these features of the Ecclesiastes. We're going to do something that scholars called exegesis, which means we're going to read scripture and decide what it means um, and see how it points us to Jesus Christ. And so I ask that you, you engage in that. It's actually, it's actually quite fun. And we're going to set this book in a context that encourages us to look for something more. Something greater, something that we can't see, something that we can't experience with our senses. And so as we do that this morning, I tell you it would really bless me if you pulled out your Bibles. I'm, I'm going to use the same Bibles you've got this morning. Um, you have NIV Bibles in your pews. They're red. Um, if you brought your own Bible, by all means, that works as well. But if you, if you, if you don't have one, as, as most Anglicans don't, um, have them in church at least, uh, they're in the pew. You're on page 472, by the way. Um, Ecclesiastes is buried between Proverbs and Song of Solomon. Two great books um, on their own accord, but Ecclesiastes is there right in the middle. And there's a reason for that, and we'll talk about that in a second. 472. And if you were paying attention this morning, you notice in our readings that we read the first half of chapter 1, which is the first chapter in the book, and the last half of chapter 12. And the reason for that is there are actually two speakers in this book. There is a narrator that introduces and closes the book, and in the middle there is another voice, the voice of the teacher, or some translations call him the preacher. And these two um, voices have different outlooks on the world, and they, ha- they come to different conclusions about this world, okay? And so we're going to look at the voices Uh, What is their worldview, and what do they conclude about life? And the first um, voice we want to look at, although we didn't hear from him this morning, is the voice of the preacher, the voice of the teacher, okay? And so he's introduced, first of all, in chapter 1, verse 1. The narrator is summing up um, his teachings, and he introduces them as, as such. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. And if you go on, verse 12, this is now the teacher speaking. I, the teacher, was king over Israel and Jerusalem. I devoted myself to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under heaven. What a heavy burden God has laid on men. Any of you folks know, perhaps, who the writer of this book wants us to understand is the teacher? Who is it? It's Solomon, right? They want us to um, consider at least the possibility that the teacher is Solomon. So a wise man, a king of Israel, son of David, or someone of his ilk. We don't know for sure. The book doesn't say, I am Solomon, or this is Solomon writing, but that's a, a good, uh, um, as good a guess as any. But, but we, want to, we want to picture here a king, somebody with great wealth and great power, somebody who has great wisdom. And so when you think about Solomon and you think about Israel at the height of its power, at the height of its wealth and status. You think about the Queen of Sheba coming to visit King Solomon for his wisdom. That's the sort of person we should understand as the preacher. And he decides from chapter 1, verse 12, all the way through chapter 12, verse 7, that he is going to explore everything under the sun to find meaning and purpose. Everything. So he's going to look at wealth, work, wisdom, justice, time. And in the process, he's going to consider the opposite of all of those um, poverty, laziness, injustice, foolishness, um, whatever the opposite of time is. He looked at that as well. Everything you can imagine, this man explores and he records his observations. And he concludes this. He looks at everything and he concludes one thing, that all of it is meaningless. <laughs> Vanity. The Hebrew word hebel literally means vapor or smoke. Meaningless. Nothing. Now there's um, another voice um, Scholars call it the frame narrator. Or we can just call him the narrator. Um, but the frame narrator, he, he, he frames the story. And in a sense, he gives us a lens by which to understand what Solomon is talking about or what the, what the preacher is talking about. And so um, verse 1-1 through verse 1-11 is the narrator. And he introduces us to the teacher and he sums up his teachings. And then he speaks again at the end Chapter 12, um, he starts at verse 9. Why don't you turn your Bibles there to 478. Again, we don't know exactly who this person is, but there is um, a, a hint in here. He says in verse 12, Be warned, my son, of anything hidden or anything in addition to them. Um, Be warned, my son. And so is this somebody who's trying to impart wisdom to his son, or wisdom, to um, somebody he's mentoring. We're not sure. But it's somebody who has taken the teachings of the teacher and he just says one thing in addition to them. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. So we have this narrator who has framed out what the teacher is saying. Now, what are the worldviews of these two different voices? And we're going to go through these quicker now. Um, the preacher, okay, he repeats time and time again. He says, "All is meaningless. All is vanity." And he, but he says this: "Under the sun, I explored everything under the sun and concluded that it is all meaningless." He has looked at everything he could possibly imagine with his five senses. And his conclusion is that it is meaningless. The life has no meaning. The biggest one for him, I think, is the death. He says, look, everybody dies. You could be the holiest person or the most sinful person, and it doesn't matter. You're both going to die. Meaningless. Everything under the sun is without meaning. And the amazing thing is this narrator Um, He affirms it. So if you looked at verse 9, he says, Not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. The narrator is saying, Listen, this guy is right. The preacher, the teacher is right. Under the sun... If that is the limit of your vision, under the sun is vanity, meaningless. But our narrator has a a bigger worldview, does he not? Because he says, like we read earlier, now all has been heard, here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. The narrator has a bigger vision. He sees God, fear God, keep His commandments. It can't, What you do isn't meaningless because it will be judged. It will be weighed and balanced and considered and tried and judged by God. There is meaning in your actions, there is meaning in this life and one day you're going to find out what it means and what it has meant to God and what it means for you. There's a narrator in this this book that has a bigger vision. He's looking beyond the sun, um, or to, to use the words of our title of the sermon series, he's looking above the sun, and he sees something more. And so the preacher lives under the sun, looks under the sun, sees under the sun, and all he concludes is that life is vanity, it is meaningless. But the narrator looks above the sun, and he sees God. And you see, it's a God who is just, who is righteous, and who will judge. Now, at that point, that doesn't actually sound like too much better news. <laughs> so, okay, so either life is meaningless or there's a God who's going to judge all of us. Well, okay. but We shouldn't fear God's judgment. We should want a just God. A God who judges. That, that's a good thing, Friends. What if God didn't judge sin? What if God said, well, you know, everybody can kind of do what they want. That's okay. They know what's true for them, and they can all have access to eternity and live with me and holiness and righteousness forever and be just the same as they are right now. Does anybody want to do this forever? Yes, there are glimpses of heaven in this world, but, but, but there's a lot of suffering Nobody wants to do that forever. We want a God who's going to judge that, who says, no, suffering is wrong. Evil is wrong. Sin is wrong. I don't want that in my presence. I won't have it in my presence. And so a God who judges sin, is that's a good thing. That's good news. And so we have a God who judges, and the reason his judgment is good news is because we have a Savior who forgives. As Christians, we know that God wasn't content to let us do the best we can. He came down from above the sun. He inhabited this earth. He lived among us. He walked among us. He died for us. And the God above the sun judged his life and raised him from the dead. And now everyone who believes in Jesus Christ, who has received his forgiveness, we're, we are we we're, we're hidden in Christ. So when God looks at you and when God looks at me, he sees us hidden into his beloved son, Jesus. And he destroys sin. And he destroys death. And there's hope. And that's life. That's above the sun. You can't get that by looking at this world. You can't get that by listening to Pink Floyd. You've got to look for something more, something greater for the God who's penetrated this earth and has loved it and will restore it. What an amazing thing. So, the conclusions then of these two voices. The preacher, the teacher says, Well, all is vanity, nothing has meaning. The narrator says, You're right. By your own constraints, by your own worldview, by looking under the sun, you will find nothing, nothing of any meaning. That is a true statement. You cannot say that life has meaning unless you consider something bigger and greater. And if you don't know something bigger and greater, I know that's depressing. I, I know that. That is a hard thing to hear. But I want to tell you there's hope. The narrator, he has hope. Does he envision hope as God would lay it out in the future with Jesus Christ? I don't think fully, but he knows that there's something, that there God is more than what we see on this earth. and so I want to um, leave you with sort of two take-homes. As we head into this sermon series, just let me lay it out in the next few weeks, we're going to look at Ecclesiastes topically. It is a very... Well, it would be very redundant if we went through it um, verse by verse because he's always circling back and the themes are always coming back up. And so we're going we're gonna to take the themes and we're going to look at Ecclesiastes. Um, does wealth, do, does our possessions, do they have any meaning? Is it all meaningless? Should we just pursue all that we can and then die? Um, does time have any meaning or are we just robots, pawns in a game of chess? Does wisdom have any meaning? Does life have any meaning. We're going to to look at all these things and we're going to conclude that under the sun, no, none of this has any meaning. But above the sun, when we know Jesus Christ, it's infused with meaning. Does your work have meaning? Well, I don't know. By the world's standards, you work to make money so you can pay for your kids' education so they can work and make money and pay for their kids' education. When does that stop? But when you consider it above the sun... Your work is worship. What you do, what you offer day in and day out beyond this, you know, hour and 15 minutes on Sunday morning, you're worshiping God. You're breathing him praise and glory and honor and that's what you were made to do. God made you for that. Amen. There's meaning in that. And when you work in worship to God, people see that. People under the sun see that and they say, "What Where's your, why do you have so much joy in this, this, this boring job? And there you go. Your gospel presentation right there. Above the sun, what you do has meaning. We're going to look at that this next few weeks as we study Ecclesiastes. Okay, two things um, you might take home with you and then we'll be, we'll be done. It is my prayer that even this morning, but especially by the time we're finished You will have a vision for life above the sun. You have a vision for life above the sun. Like I said, that what you do has meaning. And that when you live life in a way that acknowledges that there's something more, there's something greater, that we have a hope and a future, and that what we do now has purpose and meaning. When we live like that, friends, the world will see that. We live in a culture, and especially with our younger generations, that are increasingly taught that there is no God, that there are no morals, and the only logical conclusion is when you start with there is no God and the next one is there are no morals. The only next logical conclusion is there is no meaning. We have an opportunity to show the world that there's meaning. And that in that, we find our hope and our future in Jesus Christ. Friends, that's what we can do. That's evangelism. That's proclaiming the gospel. You don't have to stand on a street corner uh, preaching, although some of you might be called to that, so don't don't dismiss it entirely. But living your lives for Jesus Christ is evangelism. Do you have a vision for life above the sun? And second point... um, it's, you know, I hope that we are a church that that is um, welcoming and attractive, even for those who don't believe what we believe, who don't have hope. And so, I suspect that there's um, a few folks in here who, who who read this middle part of Ecclesiastes and and really, really identify with that. That there is no meaning. That there is no purpose. We eat, drink, and be merry. And tomorrow we die. There's nothing new under the sun. And that life is hopeless. That's a very real worldview for a lot of people. And it's my prayer that you would come back. That even today there's something would be stirring in your heart that says, no, there's there's something more. There's something that we, we can't see or that we can't grasp. There's something above the sun that gives me hope and meaning and purpose. Because, friend, there is. God loves you. God created you. He formed you in your mother's womb. He has numbered every single hair on your head. And He has died for you. So that you might know His love. That you might know forgiveness. And that you might know hope. And so I pray that you would come back. That you would know this love of Jesus Christ. And you would be infused and filled with the power of the Holy Spirit.